Mm, go Queen Linda. Hambone, hambone away, then round the corner and back again. Mm-hmm. A hambone, hambone, where your oh, wife yeah. in the kitchen cooking rice. A hambone, hambone, hambone. Give, give me hambone. Give me some hambone. Well, now, hambone, hambone, put him on your shoulder. If you get a pretty girl, I'll show you how to hold her. Hambone, hambone, where you been all around the world and back again. Hambone, 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 hambone,
and then the healing is what work to do, and the self-trust is how do we want to continue to move forward, um, centering um, our decisions on trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and in the way that, you know, place and belonging and uh, our our parents and, you know, that we inherit, um, but also, you know, we choose for our soul journey. Uh, how mm-hmm. that plays into all of this as well is, is also an aspect of your storytelling and the storytelling of, of your sisters that support this vision. Um, it's just, and it's such a lovely mm-hmm. book as well. Um, beautiful photographs. Oh, my God. These beautiful thank black you. women and all of their textures and and contours. Oh, it's just mm-hmm. like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's going to be one yes. of those books <laughs> yes. we carry into I, the next realm, you know? <laughs> I love that, textures and contours. Um, it was important to me to have such a um, a variety, a diversity of women mm-hmm. in this book because I do believe that for the most part, anyone who picks up this book, um, if you're a black woman, if you're a woman of color, or if you're a woman, um, you'll see part of your own stories um, mm-hmm. reflected in the essays of, of other women. And I do think, you know, many of these, the, the topics and the themes that these collectives of essays cover are are issues that many women in general, um, like, have to understand how to navigate for themselves. But through the lens of a Black woman is particularly powerful mm-hmm. because, we're often not given the opportunity to tell our stories for ourselves um, and not given the opportunity to, to have the mic. And so I'm, I'm so glad it's so well received because the diversity was really important to me um, mm-hmm. to be able to amplify not just what we have in common, but the textures and the contours, as you call them, the nuances that make our experiences also very different. Mhm. Yes, yes, certainly. And and also um you know, the sisterhood, um you know, the mm-hmm. idea of black women being in each other's company, holding each other up and yeah. and your chosen family, you know, you talk about that yeah. a lot uh in your particular story about how um you know, place and home and you know, impo- being an imposter and mm-hmm. you know, not quite fitting and then not knowing why mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah and secrets and you know all that stuff mm-hmm. all of it <laughs> all yeah of it. yeah you're such a and also you're such a fine writer too i mean it's beautiful i mean the poetry uh the descriptive language you know the pathos i mean it's just like ah <laughs> oh my gosh thank you you know it's so interesting for someone who you know, I did. I I didn't fully accept uh, the 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 proclamation, the the claim that I am a writer. I would al- always mm. say for years, I like to write. You know, I like to write, and sometimes I write. But to say I am a writer and to have the the courage to put it out there, um, it feels very very weird um, because I'm really stepping into claiming that I have a voice. And I think that mm-hmm. is, you know, similar to a lot of women, not just 
who I invited to contribute to this book, but just, you know, black women generally where our voices have been silenced or we've been, you know, living in self-doubt for so long um, or we've been, you know, receiving messages that invalid, that feel like they invalidate us. And so we discount our talents and we discount, um, you know, the magic and the, 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 the richness of our experiences that we can actually bring to life and translate to wisdom. And I think it's important for women right now, now, now more than ever, and that will always be the case, whether it's a year from now or 10 years from now, now, now more than ever, it's time for us to really reclaim our voices. And I think just my trepidation about sharing my own voice is an example and reflection of a lot of women who I, you know, journey alongside in this um, birthing of this book. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, you know, um, in your contributor section, uh, uh, you write that you're a Congolese American writer and advocate for women. And um, as a storyteller, you support creativity and belonging of underrepresented women and seek to deepen understanding of and within communities. And you're rooted in a global citizenship. Um, your first 15, your your 15 year career in communications has advanced diverse and inclusive storytelling at domestic and global organizations addressing addressing education, poverty, and mental health. Most recently at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which you give a lot of um, accolades to in your thanks section. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you serve. You can maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, how a lot of times having support, particularly economic support, allows you, allows a person uh, to be able to sit in a space and think and not have to worry yeah. about, you know, paying the bills, which, right. you know, um, it's not distracting, but, you know, it, it eats up your energy <laughs> to the point where yeah. maybe, you know, instead of writing or thinking, you, you're sleeping, um, which is right. important because you also talk about yeah. rest in this book. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I think it is important because to just call out um, the privilege to be able to rest <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. because so often when we're worried about survival, it's really hard to tap into creativity, you know, mm-hmm. um, when we are worried. Of, and that's why I kind of, I really do think of, you know, my spirituality, my creativity, um, and healing all kind of being parallel in some way for me personally, um, because once I'm able to unlock that I mean the the correlation between creativity and and spirituality is like unlocking curiosity. Um, but when you're so focused on survival and so focused on you know making it day by day, to allow your mind to wander, um, you just don't have the capacity to do that, right? So I think it, it's important. I was blessed to be with um, an organization that really supports maternal health and um, and just wellness of, you know, their, their community and their staff. And um, that was particularly evident when I was due for a maternity leave. I was expecting uh, my second child, and I lost 
that um, pregnancy at 27 weeks, and I was given the opportunity to take a very extensive um, sabbatical for mental health. And Mm -hmm. I think that was a life-changing, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because I got to pause on life. Um, And in that time, that's when I worked on the book. Um, so, you know, one, being a single mother at the time, and everyone's like, how did you find time to do it? And it's because I, I, I had time to breathe. I had time to feel my feelings. I had time to um, to reflect and, and just get really deep into this writing work. But it's hard when the reality is so many of us are just having to go go with emotions, keep keep life going and it's hard to heal when you're carrying trauma with you from day to day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um is this when you when you started your podcast as well when you had a time to you know um, have that break or had you started that before? Yeah, I actually started the podcast um after I found the publisher for the book. I was collecting all these. Yes, it's so interesting because usually people might assume that the book came out of the podcast. The podcast actually Mm -hmm. came out of the book because I was was gathering essays and and stories from women for the book. But I was just feeling, I was feeling like it would be, it would be a disservice to the collective of what black women's stories have to offer if Mm -hmm. I didn't kind of create a broader space for them to exist. And so as I was collecting these stories, I was like, these are too good. I I want to, these are conversations, you know, part of storytelling is, you know, when you write it out, it's one way communication, but when we're in actual dialogue with each other, we're able to lean in, ask deeper questions, pull back layers. Um, sometimes, and I can include myself in this, some of my biggest revelations come from, you know, what a woman in conversation is able to hold up as a mirror to me. Um, and that's when I kind of have my aha moments is in dialogue, talking it out. And so I chose to expand the concept of what I started with the book in podcast form because I also think that if we're going to make healing a priority, we also need to integrate it into our daily routine. And so mm-hmm. offering these conversations week by week and making kind of continuous um, introspection part of our our habit, I think, is just a, a healthy way to normalize the, the, the question asking, the self-examination you're doing with yourself as well. Mhm, mhm. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. And um and you currently uh serve on the Washington DC Mayor's Commission for Women. Um and uh are you still producing your your show um your podcast? Yes, I am. You know, I've just finished the week before the book came out, just finished the the fourth season and it's just mm-hmm. been such a beautiful journey I've paused for a book release. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. having conversations with people like you, but I do intend to pick up in January, and I'm thinking about how to get creative with conversations, and so I'm thinking that 
season five might actually be a full season um, in conversation with men about mm-hmm. feminist issues <laughs> mm-hmm. and and women related issues. And I'm um, I, there's a man who is a doula, a black man who's a doula, who I want to talk to. Oh. They, I want mm. to talk to men about their relationships with their mothers or being a father to a daughter and all the the kind of areas that we don't always hear the male perspective on. I've never had a man on the podcast, but I think it might be an interesting way because ultimately the the premise of the of life I swear um, in all of its forms is to really provoke us to ask ourselves these kind of existential questions, like who am I, what do I need, what are my boundaries, what, how am I taking inventory of the things that bring me joy and the things that I need to say no to more often, and that will mm-hmm. help us form a deeper relationship with ourselves. And once we form deeper relationships with ourselves, we're better, to, better prepared to receive and to recognize and to nurture deeper relationships with others. And so um, I think that work is, is kind of a universal journey that I hope we all go on, but integrating, you know, other voices that relate to and are in relationship with black women I think is important too. Oh, certainly, certainly. So how does uh, a person um, uh listen to your podcast, uh, where do they go and uh, and follow? How do they follow your podcast? Yeah, they can go um, to Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, it would be um, it would be searchable. And as a default, you can also go to my website, which is com, and it has all of the links to um, to podcast platforms. Okay, awesome, awesome. And um, mm-hmm. I'm just working my way through your bio. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, you also um, write that you are a uh, founding board member of, is it Huru? H-U-R-U? Huru, yes. Huru, oh, like you Huru, like freedom. Okay. Yes, exactly. It's Swahili, um, I believe, for freedom. And okay. I mm-hmm. am so honored. It's been, I don't believe that most board member experiences are as delightful as this one <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because it is essentially, it's a nonprofit, but what they do is they operate a, a home um, in Northeast Washington, D.C., and you can go into this space, and it's, it's run by a dear friend called Imani Sanders, and you go into this space, and she does everything to possibly um, just, allow you to rest easy and she there's this ministry of rest really like the power of rest allows us to to have more clarity it allows us to restore our wellness in different ways and so the whole experience is not just around rest and sleep and meditation but also you know tapping into um, different healing practices and tapping into how to nourish your body with with food and drink and um, it is a, a all weekend experience but it's been they, I think they're booked six months out because it seems to be 
similar to the book, just such a timely, um, timely time, that's the word, to introduce <laughs> rest and stillness and um, and what we can, the, what we walk away from after really rooting ourselves in rest is a deeper understanding of what we need to prosper, <laughs> I believe. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a, it's been a, a fun and um, and rewarding experience working with Huru. Mm, yeah, sounds sounds lovely. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're you're not un- unfamiliar with uh, Oakland, California, and the Bay Area, <laughs> mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and actually. Um, you're you're actually I don't know if you're here yet, but you're gonna be here, you know, for an event this tonight. Friday. Oh, tonight. Yes. Okay, safe travel. Yes. <laughs> and you. um yeah, yeah. So um I'm not sure I I didn't know that um Malanga Cascalord, um, you know, Ashe, mm. uh the the founder of uh Fwa Dia Congo mm-hmm. is your mm-hmm. uncle, but love yes. love him, love his work, you know, love um Love Musi Congo and and her sister mm-hmm. brother uh, Quasi Tiazi, uh, yes, uh, yes, yes, mm-hmm. and the way they are just carrying the work forward. I mean, they are so wonderful, and and all the other um, you know African artists that make the Malanga Cascalor Center home. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, such a of light. You know, in the Bay and on the West Coast, uh, we just lost mm-hmm. um, Papa Zach. Um, who he just passed, and they they took his remains to um, to Senegal to bury him. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful. You probably know Mama mm-hmm. Naomi. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. anyway, so I was just thinking about some of the artists that whose work kind of resonate with uh, Life I Square, and I was thinking about um, uh, Sister um, uh, Amana Tabor Smith and her um, deep. Waters Dance Theater, and uh, she does a whole thing around um, black women um, and black women resting, um, which, and I don't know if you know about it, but it's just, like, Mm-mm. simply awesome, and, uh, oh. and she calls herself, like, a headmistress, and, and she collaborates with, like, these phenomenal um, uh, women, black women, mm-hmm. and creates these... Um, these theatrical dance events that bring in the community but are really focused around a black women wellness and um and just the whole idea i mean you know that you will be talking about you know taking time for oneself because you know women in general don't do that <laughs> and black women you know as the right. caretakers of humanity really don't do that and and so I was wondering going back to your wonderful book if you could talk a little bit about you know um you know Elaine, who writes this wonderful forward. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh! It's just each page is like, oh, do I want to turn to the next one? It's just so oh, lovely just hanging out here. <laughs> yeah, and and then the way you you put, you know, like you have your forward, and then you have these these big, you know, sort of place of contemplation, the space we deserve, you know, mm-hmm. uh, coming home to ourselves, and and you give us this like sort of a. Um, a meditation, and then we read, and then we get another meditation. Yes. You know, part one, some of our parts, we get this meditation. Yes. Our stories affirm us, like, oh, okay, and you can sort of sit in that, and you read these wonderful right. contributions, and then between worlds, another meditation. Like, you know, so where do we belong? 
And then you yeah. have part two, bear witness. Uh, you know, another meditation, still I rise, more essays, the current of yeah. uh, I do, saying goodbye. And then your part three, piece it together, P-E-A-C-E, you know, another meditation. Mm-hmm. If the heart mm-hmm. could talk. That's so awesome. Really want you to share something from there. <laughs> yes. Human nature. Um, and then you have your epilogue, you know, um, and then you have mm-hmm. your afterward with intention. And that's something that you talk about a lot in your story, having yeah. intention. Right, because it is so when you don't have a good sense of self, and um, which really means when you're, your foundation, whatever that means to you, isn't, you know, locked and centered. You, um, and I talk about this in one of my essays, is you become distracted by the world, whether that is messages that tell you you are not enough, whether that um, is, you know, this cycle of seeking and longing, which leads you to toxic relationships, whether it is, you know, equating your value to your productivity, all of those feel like distractions, um, distracting you from really grounding yourself. And I talk about this a, a lot as well, especially in the beginning, is coming mm-hmm. home to ourselves. When we come home to ourselves, we are nurturing um, ourselves. We are affirming what we intuitively know, you know. Um, And so when I'm leading with intention and living with intention, it means I'm being a gatekeeper of my energy and my investment. Um, And I often think of, you know, our our energy and what we, the love that we're able to, to offer to the world is a currency. And so not everything is worth it. And so being a gatekeeper is really having the discernment rooted in self-trust, to be able to identify and um, align yourself with things that will nurture you um, and nourish you. And living with intention in that way is this continuous journey of um, uh, committing to a very um, – aligned path for ourselves and being the drivers of that because with distractions sometimes we can be wanderers um, in ways that um, that aren't rooted in our intuitive understanding where we're questioning we're self-doubting and we're moving from a place of self-doubt by looking to the world looking to these worldly things and worldly um, validation uh, to direct us when if we trust ourselves, we, we know what feels good and what doesn't, and that those should be the drivers of our path. Mm-hmm. Yes, certainly, certainly. Um, so um, maybe before you, uh, you share with us, um, you know, these, these wonderful women uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, 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 that join you on this journey, um, yeah, would you like to share something from the book? Um, I, uh, as I sure. was reading your different, um, your different essays, it's like ah, I really like. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to which one, um, which which was there a particular part of the book that resonated most with you between part one, two, and three? 
<laughs> oh, man, it all did. You should see all these <laughs> sticky things on my book and all my notes. It's like, okay, ask her about that and ask her oh. about that. Um, yeah, I was thinking about um, on page 16, 17, um, I was also thinking about, you know, um, you know, the cat with the nine lives, like that, like that mm, part, and yes, coming home to sure. ourselves, a room of her own. You know, I was thinking about Sojourner yes. Truth, page 16 and 17, and then, um, uh, and then uh, I was thinking about, you know, even if you don't have sisters, you know, that listen, like, you know, you do, this book, this book uh, introduces us to sisters that listen, and that's page yeah. 15. And then I was thinking, as you already mentioned, about identity and home and thought about the polarities, you know, the black and the white, the privilege and the access that you talk about, yeah. and exit strategies that if you have privilege, you can exit. You don't have to stay like other people do. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was thinking about the places that shaped your person and um, – God, I got another side to this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little sticky oh, thing. Oh, you really, really read um, the book. <laughs> yeah, I thought about birthrights, and I thought about how birthrights, um, mm. and uh, and then I just have, I told myself, okay, go to page 78. You got some notes there. Oh, wow. <laughs> page page 96 oh, through 98, goodness. you got notes there, 101, 113. Through 14, you got notes there. I'm thinking about the father and father loss. and. Yeah. um and I was thinking about, you know, some of the things you touched on because it's not a pretty journey. Um, but right. the beauty is that you you it passed and you and you are past that. Um, you're you're alive and you're yeah. well because yeah. you you were able to face this and and not be done in by it. Um Right. And and you have joy. I think you choose it in one of these essays. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, my I can say I I read this. Um and and then I thought I love if the heart could talk. I think maybe I want you to read something on page one nineteen, and then feeling gutsy, love that one twenty, and then perfection one sixty seven and one sixty eight. So those are my notes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh yes, um, yes. Let me read since if the heart could talk is your um, okay. is is your favorite. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, okay, so hold on, hold on. But it's all my favorite, you know. Oh my! I love the story of your son, um, who um, whose brother is the son. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful, isn't it? Yes, I mean it's it's been a you know a blessing to look at that, look at loss in that way. You know, just Mm -hmm. I think often. And I think the power of this book for me personally and what I walked away and what I, what I, why I entered into this process, but also what I walked away with was the power of the narrative that we, that we tell, you know. And so often we'll tell narratives that have been perpetuated by whiteness, you know, to ourselves, and we'll, we'll accept those narratives. Um, it could be whiteness. It could be male-dominated worlds. It could be, you know, just spaces that are not meant for us. They kind of project the narrative, and oftentimes we internalize them. And so I think it's important. Um, and also, you know, narratives around around trauma as well. We we can get um, we can get stuck in them. And I think it's important for us 
to, to know that the narrative we choose for ourselves is a choice. There's power in the auto- autonomy to be able to rewrite the narrative we want that um, is more from a place of um, being, being the, the most beautiful parts of ourselves um, and mm-hmm. forgiving the parts that we're not big fans of, but also loving those inclusively. Um, and I think that, you know, as it relates to, to grief, in that particular essay, which is titled Cradled by the Sun, is mm-hmm. I'm going to choose this other narrative. I'm going to, and it, it's a, it's one that the the narrative for those who haven't read yet is around the loss of the pregnancy that I mentioned a bit ago. But looking at that loss as, you know, while this this happened and my son who was grieving in his own way was able to change from a loss. To looking at his brother from the eyes of he's still with us, he's still part of our family. And even just the other day, I think it was yesterday, we were in the back seat, and he was like, "Why does the son keep kissing me? Why is Molly, my brother, why is he still kissing me?" Because it was super sunny and the the sun was beaming on his cheeks. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, "Why does he keep kissing me?" And I'm like, that's all love. And so I, I really do appreciate how he was able to shift, you know, my interpretation of loss. I think grief so often is love with nowhere to go. And so with nowhere to go, we can get frustrated and angry at why did this happen. Um, mm. But if you're able to channel that love that you know you still have innately in you um, in a way that comforts you, um, then, you know, it's a beautiful extension of life. Um, and so with that said, <laughs> I am going to, <laughs> um, gosh. Okay. So I am, I was figuring out, I'm going to read the intro of if the heart could talk and I'm going to read part of, um, the, the next essay called love after love, um, between pages 22 and 23. So if the heart could talk. Our greatest love stories are those centered on how we cultivate relationships with ourselves. If the heart could talk, mine would tell me to rest child. She would remind me that our intake is more important than our output and knowing the distinction allows us to set boundaries that make replenishing possible. Our value is not in what we do for others. It is in who we inherently are. Rest has become foreign to our overworked hearts. But when we're still enough to listen to the whispers of our needs, we're able to honor the love we both give and require. Mm-hmm. And so I am going to read. Thank you. So I'm going to read. Did, oh, did you, before, before you read um, your essay or parts of it, so those, those really wonderful nuggets that um that as i mentioned earlier that could be the prompt for others to okay mm-hmm. have your notebook handy now write mm-hmm. what you feel based on this and then you know um you could read what follows because i think this book will allow others to write their own narratives yes because it doesn't matter yes. if it becomes a published document it matters right. that it happened yes, <laughs> yes. 
It's just the Mm -hmm. exercise of being our own storytellers. And whether you choose to tell those stories out loud and publish it in a book or whether you choose Mm -hmm. to write it down and then burn it, you know, in a bonfire, Mm -hmm. it is the Mm -hmm. fact that by writing out your story and processing your story, you're going through the pain points of your journey. You're not going around it. You're not um, bypassing it because it's more comfortable to disassociate from it. You are sitting in it, and you're mm-hmm. you're figuring out how do you want to interpret this major life experience, um, and then how do you exercise the muscle of giving yourself grace, even through um, what may have in the past caused trauma. And I think it's 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 a exercise we have to do to to really like detox it from our system because often, mm-hmm. you know, we walk around with all of these um, burdens really weighing on our shoulders, weighing on our hearts, weighing on our ability or inability to connect with other people because um, mm-hmm. we can't get past um, what we've kind of shoved and oppressed down. And so, mm-hmm. you know, clearing that space so we can rewrite our narrative, I think is, um, I'm glad that you called that out because that is a hope for this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, um, talking about sort of calling it out, um, I uh, was leading these workshops, Heal Her Storytelling Circles for Black Women Who've Experienced Gender-Based Violence, and I couldn't. And we were hosting them at Joyce Gordon Gallery in downtown Oakland. And it was really beautiful because all the art for that particular year were was was um from women, and particularly black women um, globally. Mm-hmm. And and I think we started with art from uh, from Brazil, Bahia. And, um, and, and so I was just thinking, you know, uh, people were ashamed. You know, they were ashamed mm-hmm. of the story, the stories that they had lived through and that they carried and hadn't been able to release. So it was so hard to get the sisters to come. We were doing... Um, Really, one, we were painting, we were dancing, we were, mm-hmm. you know, writing stories, we were doing channeling. It was just so wonderful and listening, you know, to each other, mm-hmm. um, you know, how we made it through. We weren't, you yeah. know, we weren't talking about, oh, you know, what was me, but how we made it through and couldn't get anybody there. So this particular vehicle that you've created mm-hmm. is a way to do the same thing. Um, if people can't get out, you know, um, yeah. the story can get yeah. out. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. And then also, you know, when you talked about the toxins, you have a, you, you say that really well in one of these essays. I'm like, oh, I, I, I put a star by it. <laughs> so, mm. so wonderfully put. But the whole idea of, uh, of detachment um, as escape, um, not yeah. as detachment as perspective is a good thing. But right. detachment as escape means that you leave your body here and you go somewhere else and you're not mm-hmm. not being old. And and then also within your story, which I think is really courageous, and another two authors, um, the woman who writes about growing up, you know, when she was born during the, um, uh, you know, when the Civil War happened yeah. in Rwanda. and yeah. But she was a baby and her parents came back, but they were harmed from what they mm-hmm. had witnessed, and the families were harmed, but she didn't kind of know how to, what does she do with that? And, you know, right. I think about pre-verbal, pre-verbal trauma, you know, uh, which you talk about in one of your essays. And so anyway, you know, it's just sort of like all the different 
different crannies and corners yeah. get touched on. And then um and then you got, you know, our sister um, you know, Julie Wilson, beauty director and cosmopolitan yeah. manager, manager magazine, she writes Go Forth and Be Dope. Like it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. We, we have all and these I, stories. We put them in I perspective and it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was very excited to have that one be the last one. You know, just mm-hmm. the title in and of itself is, you've taken all this stuff, you know what you know, trust that you know, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know how to move and walk accordingly, and just go ahead and manifest all the things you want for yourself because you deserve. And Julie's essay is interesting because, you know, she might be one of the more well-known um contributors in this book because she, you know, works for Cosmo and she's worked for Essence for many years. Um, But she talks about perfectionism. And Mm -hmm. um, one of her quotes is, so much of our world today is a farce. And it's important to dismantle false perceptions of perfection. And I think that is so powerful, really coming from Mm -hmm. someone who has been in in the light before and who's got many eyes on her and who also, you know, is navigating being a mother, being being a careerist, doing all of these things and how imperfect that can feel um, with the strength of, of, of how you're perceived is really a demand on you. And so I, I love that she ended it with let's, dismantle this idea of perfectionism and be us authentically, know our value and then just go forth and and be as dope as you <laughs> as as you know to be. So mm-hmm. I love I love how the progression of these essays really take us on a journey of um of seeing ourselves in um at a higher pedestal than we might have before we open the book. I hope. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm happy to read from mm-hmm. um, Love After Love. You mentioned that you liked the line around being gutsy. And so I'm going to yes. start with that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> and this, for anyone listening, is around having to leave a relationship. Um, and this was the separation from my um, my son's father and how scary that was. Um, but then love after love is, is actually taken from a poem by uh, a black man, he um, Michael Wilcox, um, and oh, he yeah, has a poem yeah, called Love yeah. After Love. Yes, mm. and it is beautiful. I have it framed next to my bed, and it is around, you know, take down all the love notes and feast on the life that you have um, by yourself. And it's kind of like falling in love with yourself after romantic love might have mm. left you heartbroken and in pieces, but the love after love is the love with self. So leaving that relationship felt gutsy opting for single motherhood over partnership while expecting was bold but necessary. I was terrified of the journey ahead, but more than that, I knew I deserved peace. 
I was ready to surrender from the pull from God that was telling me I had so much more to both receive and learn from love. After cycles of pouring into unhealthy relationships, it became clear that if I wasn't intentional about working in better partnership with myself, that I would self-sabotage. For too long, I extended myself to others and neglected my own needs. Sacrificing my aspirations for those of partners left me in shortage of self-worth values, which became a revolving door of deficit-based thinking around what I was made or capable of. I had to make space for my personal restoration without being upset at the fading dream of partnership. The day I ended that relationship was the day I learned boundaries. For the next year, I centered my energy around radical self-love and honest intentionality. I needed time to learn self-trust. I had dwelled in my own self-doubt for too long, and it became damaging to carry those dead thoughts into new spaces and new life. That year was spent unpacking my patterns of choosing grace for others over grace for myself, working through trauma that had tormented my health, and finding stability and stillness and rest. The gentler I was with myself through the language I used and the margin of error I allowed, the more I humanized myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, this is so, so, so beautiful and so necessary and so needed. Um, you know, as um, the pandemic continues, and mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to figure some things out, and um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. timely. I think with the pandemic, we are, you know, I I think a lot about this because prior to the pandemic, I've worked within my organization a lot around diversity and inclusion, and all the initiatives and employee resource groups and. Um, I think writing this book actually piggybacks on a lot of what I was trying to do but just couldn't make a lot of traction in the workplace um, in terms of DNI. Um, but I think this book accomplishes that in terms of it is a rebellion. For all of the things that a workplace culture didn't allow, it is the book and just generally our kind of the trends that we've, and hopefully it's not a trend, hopefully it's here to stay, but just the practice that we've been exercising to choose autonomy, to set boundaries and to um, nourish our wellness um, and to give ourselves what an inclusive culture couldn't, which was a sense of belonging. I hope that this book, as it represents community, um, gives readers a sense of belonging and I think it'll be interesting as we go back to work to see how after this year and a half we've been doing all this work and been really in fellowship with other black women around our collective healing. When we go back to work, it'll be interesting to see how organizational culture shifts to meet us where we now are in this new space, this new version of ourselves. Um, Because I do think that, we are requiring now because we know um, how much we more we we flourish and we um, we when we set our boundaries, you know, it becomes more of a non-negotiable. And so it'll be interesting to see how we're able to sustain that 
Um, mm-hmm. And then also how organizations and just the outside world really meets us where we are. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And um, and you write uh, in your um, <clears throat> in your uh, afterward that uh, not having answers doesn't invalidate the beauty and necessity of our stories. They will mm-hmm. be written as the journey continues. And um, you, um, the the quote that's pulled out is, and I I wrote it down myself. It is mm-hmm. never too late to form new images of ourselves. Because ultimately, it's what we behold that's most important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most important. And you and you write about, and I don't know what essay that's in. It might be in here, um, where you would you know take physical inventory, like you would look at your face mm-hmm. and notice it, like regularly, so you wouldn't miss mm-hmm. changes. And then you stop doing that. It's like, oh, where did those freckles come from? <laughs> right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. That was probably one of the first little pieces of writing that I wrote, you know, and I think that it is when I when I started writing because I do think that it, it that scene of like really looking at ourselves and looking into ourselves is mm-hmm. one of the most intimate like ways we can get get with ourselves. Um, it is like, and I used to do this. I used to do this when, at times when I was really sad, you know, just go to the mirror and look into myself, look at myself, look actually into my own eyes. Like it's, it's very, um, awkward at first, (laughs) but it helps me calm myself down. And this was in my twenties when I was in a, in, um, Uh, a very toxic relationship and I got out of the habit but um, you know after this loss and separation I started doing it again and I'm like wow so much life lives on my face that I hadn't recognized or celebrated and Mm -hmm. I think we get in just in the, the habit of going with the motions and trying to keep up with life and but when we take inventory of ourselves, whether it's physically through our eyes or our face or our, you know, laugh lines or cry lines <laughs> on our foreheads, um, or whether it's taking inventory of how do I actually feel, I'm too, I get too caught up in the habit when people ask ask me how I feel is I'm good. And then I start to believe that I'm good, which means I start to ner- normalize some of the unhealthy thought patterns I've had uh, that I'm not actually bringing to the surface. I'm actually mm-hmm. not good. And it's okay to say I- I'm actually not good. But sometimes we don't even know if we're good or not <laughs> because mm-hmm. we we haven't been still enough to ask ourselves, how does this make me feel? And so actually late, lately in the last few years, you know, when I when I call a girlfriend or someone comes over, I don't ask them how they are. I ask them, how's your heart? And they kind of are taken mm-hmm. aback and they're like, how is my heart? <laughs> you know? Um, mm-hmm. Or I, I often, you know, ask women, friends I haven't spoken with in a long time, are you happy? And they're like, mm. do you mean happy with career? Do you mean happy in my relationship? Do you, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> Because they haven't even asked themselves that. 
um, it feels like such a uh, just such a random question. And I I say answer it how you want. Are you happy? And mm-hmm. so in your totality, are you are you are you feeling good? Are you feeling your pain points? Are you you know? And so I I just think the the exercise of going to the mirror is asking myself, how's your heart? Are you happy? Are you um, are you feeling triggered right now? Um, and then what are you celebrating about yourself, you know? And so I think I'm I'm just really an advocate for that self examination at any given any given point in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and when you mentioned triggered that I think there's another essay, one of your essays, because, like, you are the fan. I am your fan. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just sort of living in your essays, although the other essays are great. <laughs> I just really love how your essays just sort of guide the conversation in a yeah. real uh, substantive way. Um, but you mm-hmm. talk about triggers as, you know, um, not being the terminus in that, okay, you're triggered, like, you know you're not going to die <laughs> you know and right. and there can be you could you could turn this into an opportunity <laughs> right you know as opposed to falling yeah. apart and letting it control you know what you do you know next um uh but i i do want to give you a chance to um to talk about um where you're going to be this evening and and mm. and the person who's hosting is a contributor and and yeah. also you know give a shout out to your your wonderful cast of writers mm-hmm. and and wonderful women yes. who have shared their stories with us in, you know, Life I Square, intimate stories about black women on identity, healing, and self-trust, um, you know, by you. And you could tell us your name again because I don't know how to pronounce it still. <laughs> You're going to send it to me fanatically. <laughs> yes. No, thank you so much. Um, I, I love, so this Friday, um, at 8 p.m. at Black Girls Greenhouse in Oakland. Um, it is, they have just celebrated in August their one-year anniversary, but they seem to be a household name in Oakland these days. Um, but they're all, Black Girls Greenhouse is all about Black girl joy, and it's always a perfect time to grow, which I think goes <laughs> so hand-in-hand with this book. But I'll be in conversation with one of the, the co-owners of Black Girls Greenhouse, Kalkadan Gabriel-Hannes. She is also my sister, fun fact, um, but um, she's also a contributor to this book, and her book is called The Triumph of Heartbreak, and it is beautiful. Um, alongside her, some of the other contributors in this book, um, you mentioned Elaine Balteroff, um, who wrote the forward as well as her own essay, um, and Julie Wilson. We also have Another Oakland native, her name is Morgan Ashley Bryant. Um, uh, Dion Ivory is a phenomenal creative director. Alex L. and Lauren Ash are both healers in their own space. Um, Miriam uh, Lumata, she is um, probably the eldest of the contributors. I, I believe she's in her um, 60s, and she's based in Morocco. She is a queen, and she talks about her... Um, ancestral lineage that um, the one kind of lesson they pass down from generation to generation is the um, audacity to aspire, even starting with um, her ancestors who were uh, enslaved. 
and how they always aspired and kind of broke glass ceilings. And so I do believe that the collective of all of these essays are just, they cover the spectrum of what it is to be resilient and on fire and reflective and um, and insecure and vulnerable in, in, in so many different ways that it's hard to articulate the breadth of this book. Um, but I do think, you know, Life I Swear is one of those things that um, it's just like a sigh and exhale in reflection of life. And so um, I'm very proud of all of the women for being willing and brave enough to share their stories. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so are we. And um, the imprint is Harper Design, um, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's available. <laughs> and it's in the first mm-hmm. printing still. I'm sure it's going to go into others. Um, but yeah. you can get hot off the presses, hot off the November presses. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're going to have books available this evening, I mean, not this evening, but on the 19th, and people can get an yeah. autograph from you and the mm-hmm. other uh, women who are going to be there sharing as well, which would be really sure. awesome. It's nice having autograph books. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Chloe, congratulations, and say your whole name for us, please. <laughs> Chloe Dulce Bubuazo. Yeah, thank you. And um, uh, if you'd like to call out, you know, any any names of any of your ancestors as, you know, um, as we conclude, you know, feel free. If you have anything else you want to share that we didn't cover, feel free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just mainly encourage anyone who is, interested in leaning in more even beyond the pages of this book to check out the um the the podcast um and Mm -hmm. you know if you have ideas and you want to nominate a speaker um if you have a phenomenal story that you'd like to share in the podcast um feel free to to send it my way and you can do that through the website as well okay awesome awesome and i've linked to um uh, the uh, the re- the uh, the reading uh, celebration mm-hmm. at Black Girls Good. Greenhouse, which is on your website. You have a section called events, which makes it yes. easy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I've linked to your website as well. <laughs> okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Looking forward to other conversations. Um, have a wonderful time. Um, this weekend and um the full moon is coming in which is awesome mm-hmm. awesome and uh yeah and i hope you have a safe uh wonderful comfortable flight this way thank you i will thank you oh you're welcome you take good care <laughs> you too bye-bye bye oh good morning uh nyla rose how are you did I? Mm-mm. I thought that was her. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Oh, now I do. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, yeah, it tells no, me I'm muted. That's funny. <laughs> oh, but, okay, oh, no, I'm glad you can hear me. This is Niala. <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> Niala, sorry, I pronounced your name wrong. Sorry. Um, That's and, all right. Uh, so I'm so many happy. Do. Oh, yeah. Uh, say it again for me, real quickly, so I don't mess it up. Niala? Niala. Mm-hmm. Niala, okay. Niala Rose. And um, you are an accredited 
Tai Chi. Tai Chi is it Tai Chi Quan? Cha. It's pronounced Tai Chi Cha. Tai Chi Cha teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should have asked you all this stuff before now, but oh well. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you've been practicing Tai Chi and uh, Qigong for over a decade. Um, two years ago, you co-created a group for movement teachers determined to make movement increasingly accessible to everyone. Um, uh, you have worked in the health field for 25-plus years with a focus on marginalized communities and women with cancer. And um, I was introduced to you by our wonderful, um, one of our sister, wonderful sister, um, and uh, and I just lost her name. Oh my goodness, Arisica, uh, Arisica, 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 um, and um, and 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 the, you uh, and it was through the uh, women uh, cancer, women of color cancer, see, women. What's the, the name of the women resource of, center? Yeah, women. Cancer Resource Center, which used to meet in person and because of COVID shifted to an online platform. And um, and I think the first um, uh, Tai Chi um, meeting that I, I joined you in, I think it was on a Sunday morning. And it was just, oh, man, you just have this ambience that's so soothing, um, and you're in your garden, and everything looks so beautiful and green and colorful and fresh, and 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 you know just being able to be in one's body, um, particularly when one is sort of going through some things that are changing within one's body um, that are might be unexpected, and and one might not know be know sort of like what the outcome's going to be, has been like really mm-hmm. really centering, you know, to, to be able to join you in practice around this. Um and yeah, I just want to tell you thank you. And so that that's sort of why I wanted to to join us and just talk about what you do and 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 I just want to just bear witness to its importance in my life. It's been really wonderful learning the sounds and the places and the breath and the movement for these different energy channels and being able to like open them you know, fearlessly, you know, through your instruction and and illustration. Thank you so much, Wanda. Wow, what a testimony. I appreciate that very much. It is exactly what I had hoped to do when I decided mm-hmm. to become a certified accredited teacher in this form. And I will talk about a little bit the difference between Tai Chi Chuan, which is what most people think of when they think of Tai Chi, and the form I do, which is Tai Chi Cha. So Tai Chi Chuan is fantastic. I've done it. I first did it many, many, many years ago, actually. And I enjoy it very much. But the challenge is it's 108 moves. And it normally Mm -hmm. takes people about a couple of years of dedicated practice to learn all the movements. And it requires space. It requires muscles. It requires good balance. And um, if one is going through something, whatever that might be, you know, physical ailments or difficult diagnosis, just challenges in our lives, it can be really, really helpful. But there's this other form called Tai Chi Cha, which is 19 movements in one pose. So one can learn them much more quickly. And it's not a martial art. It's an inner discipline. 
And it's more similar to Qigong because you get a chance to do that same movement several times in a row. And you don't, other than something called joyous breath, the thing with the other movement is your breath just takes care of itself. So you're not concerned about breathing in in a particular pose, breathing out. You're just letting your body move. And you mentioned one of the main things that I've noticed with this, which is so many of us are out of our bodies, right? We're out of our bodies. We're in our heads. Mm -hmm. And doing this practice really helps people to get centered back into their bodies. We focus on the feet and in focusing on our feet, bringing our attention and awareness into our feet to connect us to the earth, then what happens is we find ourselves by the end of the hour, by the end of the practice, really settled back into our bodies. And that's important, especially if you're feeling stressed and you're all in your head, um, you're back in your body and you can be grounded. But the other thing is in between each movement, we do something called resting pose. And this is the place that I call it a stillness of wholeness. And I use that word wholeness on purpose because when one has a difficult diagnosis, one can feel like the body has betrayed you somehow. Not everyone feels that way, but a lot of people feel that way. And I know it from um, my experience with um, so many people with cancer, but people who have had surgeries that were unexpected, people who have parts of their bodies removed, they no longer feel whole. And it's important to remember that there is something in our bodies, inside us, that no matter what else is happening, we are still whole. So to come to rest over and over again during this practice, just feeling into that sense of I am whole is really, really powerful if you let it be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I want I want to feel that stillness and believe I am whole. I just believe in the meantime that you and others that tell me that I am whole and that we are whole, <laughs> despite um, surgeries, that you know what you're talking about while I try to figure mm-hmm. it out and believe it. Because <laughs> I, I, I trust, you know, you know what you're talking about. I just don't know it yet. Like, know it, know it in myself. Exactly, exactly. And I will say for me, it's taken me a long time to to feel into that, right? And mm-hmm. so um, I, um, for instance, I will say, um, since I was born, I've had really terrible allergies. And there are two things that this practice has done for me is it's really increased my lung capacity, I can breathe so much better. And we know from people who study the breath, study breathing, yogis, and so forth, how important that is to fill, to breathe fully, to breathe deeply. And that helps us be grounded in our bodies. That helps us calm down. And so as you just described, you know, I just kind of trusted. People said, this will help. And I said, okay, let me try it. <laughs> and it did help. It helped a lot. And so, yeah, I did have to just trust in the beginning 
that um, this thing is helpful. These people who've been doing it 20, 30 years or more, they say this, and okay, I, I believe them. Um, oh, actually, let me talk about how I came to this particular form. Um, mm. So I meet Tai Chi Chuan, and I was working at an integrative cancer clinic and uh, in Oakland. I'm in the Bay Area, and um, the medical, I was in charge of the clinic, the CEO, and the medical director and I, we were trying to figure out what could we do on an ongoing basis for staff wellness. And we kept mm-hmm. trying all these different things um, that people said they wanted, and um, some people liked something, other people didn't, and so then it was a challenge trying to get them to come and it was just once a week, but it was, you know, one afternoon a week. We felt it was important so folks don't burn out. We felt it was really important to include staff wellness, really encourage that people rest, encourage that people eat properly, um, that they take their breaks. And we wanted to include movement. And so this, this woman came in, Jen Bean is her name, and she ended up becoming my teacher. And she's fantastic, and I really just want to um, to mention her now by name because Tai Chi comes from, we don't know who started it, right, but we know that it comes from East Asia, and so we always want to acknowledge the teachers known and unknown. But this form, Tai Chi Cha, was originated by a Western man, an American man, a white man named Justin Stone, and Jen studied with him. And... Jen taught us first chakra tai chi, where we use sound. And in making these sounds, you have to deepen your breath. (laughs) And so separate from the movement, doing the sound with the movement just helps me so much for reasons that I said, weak lungs. And so it helps me so very much. Mm -hmm. And so Jen said, if anyone wants to become a teacher, let me know. And so I was doing it with her at work for a couple of years, and then I left that job. It's a fantastic place, though no hard feelings, but circumstances in my life meant I left that job. And then I had the time, and I contacted Jen and said, I want to learn this. I want to become a teacher. But originally it was for stress with staff. And then as people were telling me the benefits of it, I started working with people with vertigo, and then people mm. said, and I was reading studies from the Mayo Clinic, from Harvard, from Stanford, saying, oh, mm. this helps with pain, and mm. it's important to me. I've always volunteered, so I, I really wanted to offer this form for free, and I do do it for pay as well, but I wanted to offer it for free, in particular to women or non-binary folks who are feeling pain, feeling stress, suffering from other ailments, and help all of us get over the stress. For some people, the stress is so deep, it's actually trauma. So the stress, the trauma of the surgery, of whatever is happening in your life that you have to deal with, the transphobia, the heterosexism, the racism, and come back into our bodies and know that we are okay as we are in our bodies, our bodies really are whole. And so doing Chakra Tai Chi, my first introduction, and then learning the full form of Tai Chi Cha so I could become accredited, which I did, 
as well as I will say for me, taking intensives throughout the year, throughout the year, I try and take a couple intensives so that every six months I do five to seven to ten day intensives to really go more deeply into these movements so that then I can bring more to my students, whether that person shows up just once or like you, whether they are ongoing. And then I want to invite in qualities like let's bring mindfulness to this. Let's bring ease, which is actually one of the principles of Tai Chi Sha. Let's bring ease to our movements. So, again, we can really feel into who we are. And Mm -hmm. folks tell me it helps with pain. It really helps bringing down the blood pressure, which helps with vertigo. And so it's just it's been amazing to me to hear from people that if they're fatigued, it gives them energy. If they're feeling too hyped up, it slows them down. It really brings you what you need as you do these movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what I really like, um, yeah, I like I like the heart one that you do, and uh, mm-hmm. and I really like I like you know um, you know when you're focusing on the different chakra and you're telling us stories about the different chakra and and we're doing you know movement to i guess recognize it or um mm-hmm. yeah i guess in a way that cuz you know we don't normally pay attention to <laughs> um our autonomic uh nervous system things just function but we don't say you know like thank you lungs and thank you heart and you know thank you skeletal system i mean so I really like the mindfulness aspect of paying attention to these these functions that are so important for us being upright, you know, and alive that we just let pass. And um but when, you know, the different you know, the different sounds like they're singing. You know how you think about the whales are singing? But mm-hmm. you know, we don't think about it. I think about it when I think about sort of the intrusion of these um loud noises that, that, you know, hurt their ears and things like that. But then I think also about the songs that we're singing as, as a species <laughs> that, we, that we're not listening yeah. to that you allow, like when we, we learn a form, um, can hear our, our bodies singing, particularly when we release the stuck energy. So then it can, yeah. the voice can be more clear. And then, and then that'll help us, you know, with the healing and, you know, sort of releasing any kinds of stresses and things like that. So, you know, that's that's what I really like about about what you share with us in in the movement and the practice. And then I also like how, you know, if you're tired, you can sit down and do it. <laughs> and you and you teach yeah. us how to do that, and that's cool. Yes, thank you. So um, when I shared with you that I co-created a group for movement teachers to make all kinds of movements accessible, that was our goal, is you can't do Tai Chi Chuan seated and get the full benefits of the movement, but you can do this, Tai Chi Cha seated, and get the full benefits of it. And if you can't do it seated, you can actually just visualize doing it. And that, so there are a couple ways to, I'll just talk about the visualization real quick. So none of this is religious, right? This is just moving. But for a lot of people, 
visualization can seem like it, it's something religious. So I want to be clear. It's just picturing what the movement might be. And they do it in, say, Feldenkrais or other forms, right? Athletes use it, especially elite athletes use it all the time, right? Visualize yourself doing this thing. And so you can sit down, lie down, and just visualize yourself doing the movements once you learn them. You can also sit and get the full benefit of the movement. And so if you are in a wheelchair, if you are, I had um, in one of my classes, a woman who did it throughout her pregnancy. She started out standing and then it was uncomfortable to stand. And so she would do it seated, right? So people are um, want to sit down because they're tired, because they're pregnant, because their bodies in that moment or their bodies um, are unable to um, to stand. And so we really want to make um, the movements that we offer accessible to folks. And so um, so that's important. I, and I play around with how does it look for you. And I use that word play on purpose, right? I want to bring a sense of enjoyment to this. Not everyone can sit and get the benefits of meditation, but we can do moving meditation. Some people, I actually prefer walking meditation to sitting meditation. I do both. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can do moving meditation, and in the movement, people can, it's basically a form of dance, right? Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga, all those things. It's just moving. It can be a form of dance. You can do this to music music in in your head, the music of the wind, or you can actually play music created by people and and do it to go along with the movement, whatever works for you, so that it becomes more, when I say more accessible, I don't necessarily mean like physical accessibility. Certainly I want that. I want to make it accessible to as many people as are interested in it. Um, But um, to make it accessible to you means you do it in silence. Is that helpful? Are more words helpful? Do we attach sounds to it? Do we bring qualities to it? And so we play around, I play around with all those things to make it be, I won't use the word accessible, I'll say available, to make it be more available to people in that moment. And I never, ever, and you know this, I talk about perfection. I never, ever tell people you're doing it wrong because whatever you're doing in that moment, that is what your body is needing as long as you're not having pain. So I do talk about pain, right? You don't want to cause (laughs) yourself pain. But Mm -hmm. um, it's more important to me that people feel into the movement than that they do it so-called correctly. And I certainly mm-hmm. give instruction, and as time goes on, I give more and more instruction. Here's what's helpful. Here's what you do. But mainly you really want to get settled in your body and feel whatever you're feeling because mm-hmm. there's this confusing thing called chi. What is chi? And chi yeah. is just the life energy. What are chakras? They're just centers of energy. And they exist. They just do. You may or may not feel it. Sometimes you feel it more than others. Some people started out doing Tai Chi Cha with me and said, oh, my gosh, immediately I felt tingling all over my body. Some people said, years 
before I felt a slight tingling in my fingertips. <laughs> mm. So it's always there, right? And as you said, just trust that the that the um, person offering it to you, I'm not going to call myself a teacher necessarily, but the person offering it to you knows what they're talking about. And so I'll say for me, some of the stories that I say is, oh, there are times, even during class, I don't know if you've been in class with me, Wanda, when there are times in class when I've, like, drawn in too much chi, and then I have to mm. ground it. And then there are other times I'm doing it by myself, and it really feels like I'm just going through the motions, and I have to force myself a little bit to do it because I, I tell myself, okay, Mia, this is beneficial to you. Just keep going. Just keep going. You can do it in as little as 20 minutes. You don't have to take a full hour because I know if it's benefits to me. And so um, now I try for a daily practice. Do I have a daily practice? No, not yet. <laughs> Some days I'm just like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go for a walk instead. But mm-hmm. um Knowing that a daily practice is helpful to me, then days I'm just really not feeling it, I still do it anyway because by the end of the 20 minutes, I feel more grounded. I feel more settled. My breath is deeper, and I know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so um, if people are interested in um, in you know, more information about, about your work, how do they get in touch with you? And, um, yeah, how do they get in touch with you to find out, you know, when you're going to be offering classes and how that works? Thank you, yes. Um, so my website has a glitch, um, and so my website designer is working on it. And um, so the website um, will be up soon. Uh, but in the meantime, people can contact me via my email. So um, one word about my website. It is called being-buddhist.com, and it's not religious. <laughs> I want to be clear. I'm a philosophical Buddhist, not a religious Buddhist. And what that means is all the things about Zen Buddhism, the sitting and relaxing, being mindful, all those things um, work for me, and I want to help share them in particular with other BIPOC folks. Um, I think um, a lot of us BIPOC people have not gotten gotten the full benefits that are available from um, the Eastern tradition of Buddhism um, because we haven't seen ourselves represented. And so that's changing, um, changed quite a bit in the last five, seven years, which is fantastic. But um, so that is my website, being-buddhist.com, and it should be live soon, my um, designer tells me. But in the meantime, they can just email me. So it's my name, N, like Nancy, N-I-A-L-L-A, at being-buddhist.com. And I do drop-in classes, which is what you've attended. Um, Those are for free. And then I also have a couple... Um, events coming up through East Bay Meditation Center, and um, one would go to their website um, and register for it. And so um, those you can take for free, but they do ask that people give um, dana, which is um, a word for generosity, um, meaning, you know, whatever at the end of the the class or the session, whatever you think um, you can afford and want to give. 
that they do ask for money that way. So, um, so my drop-in classes, um, I never ask for anything. It is my gift. Uh, but the ones that I have upcoming at East Bay Meditation Center, um, they will ask. Um, so those two, I have one. Uh, I'm co-teaching with both um, for both of those. December 18th, oh. we are offering it for the full moon. And oh, nice. we will be doing Chakra Tai Chi. Yeah, oh. Chakra Tai Chi, because the full moon we want to um, have um, invited that energy, right, so that we can take advantage of it, use it for whatever you need to before, um, if you celebrate holidays at that time of year. But it can also be a depressing and stressful time of year for people. So that can be um, very helpful for that as well. And then, um, and it's also before the equinox. Yes, yes, right before. Yes, um, and then um, so it's welcoming winter. Um, so East Bay meditation. And, and you know what else it is? Um, uh, uh, it's also the uh, it's um, the um, it's six months to the day since um, Juneteenth became a federal holiday. <laughs> We didn't register that. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. We will then yeah, call yeah. that in. We have um, my co-teachers and I, we have a few things we're going to call in at the beginning, and that mm-hmm. one didn't register on us at all. So thank you so much for that because oh, we will yeah, be yeah. Um, calling in the ancestors. And, oh, how wonderful. Mm-hmm. How wonderful. Yeah, and I'll you, share that with and, my and you know, co-teachers. Oh, totally. And then you know that uh, Dana King, you know, created the um, – Monumental Reckoning, and so there are 350 African ancestors holding space uh, in the concourse at Golden Gate Park, and they'll be there for two years as of June 18th this year. So um, and, and they're, they're, they're encircling the plinth where Francis Scott Keyes was toppled, his, his, his monument was toppled <laughs> in some basement somewhere, mm-hmm. and they try to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, so people yeah. know the carousel right there in the concourse. The mm-hmm. the ancestors circle that plant right there by the carousel. So, if you get on the carousel, and they have great discounts for seniors and military people and children, and you look down and you see this beautiful circle of African ancestors, and they're all female. Yes, yeah, yeah, they are. I know it's really it's beautiful. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. cool. I'm oh, going to put that in my date book. I am so going to register for that. <laughs> is, oh, that is that on yeah. site? And or? We'll, I'm sorry. Then we'll is that also on be site? Doing, um, it's their website is ebmc.org. No, no, no. No, no. Is, is the, um, is the, medit- is the, um, uh, the meditation um, and, and your chakra tai chi, is it on site? Like at least the meditation center oh. has a location. No, no, or no. Is, These is, are all on oh. Zoom. Um, okay. So okay. the reason we've decided to keep things on Zoom. So I've done a couple. Um, I've done a couple in person. At um, people invited me to retreat, and I went mm-hmm. and I did it outdoors. Um, but um, we just wanted to. We, a lot of people shared with us that doing things virtually. Um, they they want to continue that because it allows them to attend when otherwise they might not be able to attend. So mm-hmm. so these are all online. These are all continuing virtual. Yeah. Oh. And so yeah. um cool. yeah, so 
so December 18th, and then I also just want to mention that um, January 1st last year, we did um, the one that you talked about, Heart Qualities, Embodying the Heart Qualities um, mm-hmm. at EBMC, and people loved it, and so they asked us to come back. So we'll be mm-hmm. doing that as well um, to begin the, to welcome in the new year. Um, so um, people can attend one or both. Um, same website, EBMC.org, for the one on December 18th and the one on January 1st. And it's not too early on January 1st. It's 9 a.m. <laughs> it's a little early for me. <laughs> but there are yeah, three of us co-teaching so that one person is always standing <laughs> and one person is always seated. Yeah. So um, it, it's it's really nice. Oh, awesome, awesome. And, and you are going to be um, uh, you know, one of our Gaia teachers this weekend um, at the um, – uh, the Womfulness Gathering for Black Women. Uh, so if you're a Black woman, you can totally come. It's free. Uh, the Donna is is you know welcome for the teachers. Um, it's ten to twelve, and uh, Ania is going to be one of the presenters. And it is in Zoom. So if you're interested, um, uh, we have a uh, we have a Facebook. We have a website um, blog spot. Um, Facebook is Womfulness Womfulness. Um, Womfulness gatherings. So, um, yeah, let us know, and I'll send you the Zoom link. <laughs> yeah, really looking yes, forward to and that. and I'm honored that you asked me. Mm, yeah, I'm really happy you could fit us in your schedule. So um, do you want to leave our audience with something that they could do for themselves, you know, now? <laughs> Around, yes, around yes, this. thank you for that invitation. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you could do just two things for yourself, I'm going to say take five deep breaths every day, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. And usually by the fifth breath, you're breathing in so much deeper than you were by the first, than the first breath, which really helps to just calm down the vagus nerve, all the autonomic systems in the body. And then that's one thing. And then if you can, shake, standing or seated, just shake out different parts of your body for a full two minutes. Put a timer on because it seems like a <laughs> long time. And by the end of that two minutes, you will have shaken out so much of the tension and stress that we carry in our bodies. So those are my two suggestions. I do that every single day, both those things. Yeah. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, I took um, the uh, mind-body medicine um, course, and and that was one thing that we learned about, you know, the shaking. Like, um, Mm -hmm. I think um, uh, they put on, like, drumming and stuff. And then after the shaking, then you put on a different kind of music, and you just freestyle dance. And I'm like, oh, I like both of those things. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I love that, too. To get used to it. Mhm. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, take five deep breaths and then shake out different parts of your body for two minutes. Yeah, I think I think people should put a timer on because you don't you might end too early. Like I, I think for our, our brushing our teeth, it's will be like three minutes. And if you don't have a electric toothbrush that's on a timer, um, it's like you you think it's three minutes and it's not because. Yeah. That's a nice that's a nice length of time. You can really get your teeth clean. You can really shake out your body in two minutes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Awesome, awesome. Wow. Well you 
take good care and thank you again so much for joining us and um and uh definitely um want people to to know you know where to find you um looking forward to checking out your website once your glitches are out but in the meantime give your give your email address one more time niala n i a l l a at being buddhist dot com okay yeah and you will be at the east bay meditation center on december eighteenth for Chakra Tai Chi, and it's going to be in Zoom, virtual. And then you'll be also at East Bay Meditation Center on January 1st doing Embodying Heart Qualities, and that's at 9 o'clock in the morning. And you will be joined in both of these instances by other other uh, teachers and practitioners. And we're going to have a good time, you know? like Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a good rest of the day. Look forward to seeing you in a you too. couple of days. All right. Peace and bless. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So we're going to play a little bit more of Amakela, and since we're sort of like in an Amakela space, I am going to play an interview that I had with her a while back. Yeah, it was a really long time back. It was in 2014. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was a really good conversation. I think I'm going to play, um, just because I've been looking at it, uh, Lovely Day, um, her her version of Lovely Day. And then we'll just slip right into this um, uh, this interview. So before we do that, I want to let you know about um, something I just got some information on that I want to share with you. And, um, oh, I want to say happy birthday to, to Brian Keith. Um, uh, wonderful artist, um, and uh, yeah, you know how Facebook sends you those um, sends you those um, what do you call it? <laughs> sends you those announcements about you know for friends who are having their birthdays, and and then you can just go in um, and say hey, happy birthday, Brian Keith Thomas. And, oh, and Brother Naeem is having a birthday, too. There's a lot of people born at the end of the year, a lot of people born in the summer. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's an event happening uh, honoring uh, Queen, uh, I call her Queen Califia, and um, and uh, another folks might call her uh, Queen uh, Califia, Seal of California. So there's an event happening um, this weekend, um, Friday, uh, November 19th from noon to 4th. So you can still go and, um, and see our dear sister Chloe um, at her um, author event uh, on Friday in Oakland because that's going to be later in the day. So you can do the noon to 4 and then you can come on over to Oakland. This is in San Francisco. It's at uh, Bodecker Park, at Eddie and Jones in San Francisco. And they're going to have um, a Bay Area Entertainment Association and the Tenderloin Incubation Hub is presenting this Tenderloin Artists and Entrepreneurs Entrepreneur Expo, and um, and there's going to be um, there's going to be uh, speakers and performers and vendors, and these are the same folks that put on the uh, uh, honoring those who lost their lives during Jonestown. 
think it was on, I'm trying to think what anniversary was it. It was on a big anniversary, um, I think maybe 2018 or so, maybe 19. And uh, and San Francisco had never, you know, honored those people that lost their lives, particularly all the children that lost their lives. And so um, this particular organization um, hosted, um, one of the hosts was a collaboration of the um, um you know this this memorial and so the Bay Area Entertainment Association um that's the organization and the Tenderloin Incubation Hub I don't know them but uh the performances are by the Sea Struck Brothers um Honey Mahogany uh legislative aide uh supervisor Matt Haney's office is going to be speaking it's going to be a performance by Tori Teasley uh, Cheryl Shanks is going to speak. There's going to be a performance by C. Rowe. Um, there's going to be a painting party tribute to Queen Califia with the with the uh, with Zumani, the artist. Uh, there's going to be a performance by Cloud. Uh, Robert Boyd is going to. Uh, who else is going to speak? Uh, Nikki Aquino is going to. Uh, she's a vendor, an art vendor. Uh, Bisma Bazaar is a holistic healer. There's going to be a performance by Razor Sharp and Brother Mo, and a flow a flu Lux Social Club is going to be uh, have live floral arrangements from local farms. That should be nice. And so, for more information, you can visit Bay Area. No, excuse me, not Bay Area. Sorry, you can visit Bay Entertainments. No, Bay Entertainment SF. Bay Entertainment SF at Gmail is. Um, is the uh, email address, and the website is nclf nclf inc i n c dot o r g forward slash hub, and so um, looks like a really wonderful event. So um, and this, but this is not the only one they're doing. And also, um, one of the producers is um, Antenna Theater. And uh, and also another producer is the New Community Leadership Foundation. Um, and so anyway, it looks like it's going to be really, really awesome. And uh, sorry I wasn't able to get anyone on the air to talk about it because I just got this um, yesterday. So um, um, there wasn't enough time to um, to be able to uh, to get anyone to join me. But that's the those are the details and there's probably a lot of other things happening, but that's something I wanted to let you know about. Alrighty. So now I'm going to play uh Lovely Day and then we will slip into this uh, conversation with Amakela um about her life and uh and forgiveness and love.
Michaela, I'm so happy that uh, we're talking this morning, and you have this great concert, uh, Spirits Lifted, a musical mm-hmm. celebration featuring mm-hmm. yourself as special guest with John Santos on Sunday, tomorrow, July 27th at 3 at Eastside <laughs> Cultural Center in Oakland. So tell me about this first-time collaboration between the two of you. Actually, gratefully, it's not our first-time collaboration. Mm-hmm. He was on my album, Being in Love. Is he was it? on several of the tracks. Yes. Mm-hmm. He is a percussionist on several of the tracks, and he's just truly an inspiration and one of my most favorite people. He's one of the first people I met when I moved out to the Bay Area, and he's so sweet and so powerful and gifted and giving. I actually met him at jazz camp. Mm-hmm. I moved out here. I put my bags down and Ran out to jazz camp for a week, and he was there, and he taught me a lot of things um, with respect to rhythm and percussion and singing a lot of these Afro-Cuban songs, which you'll hear if you come on Sunday to the show. It's going to be fantastic. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so were you at jazz camp recently? Because I know you, you've been just getting back from, from teaching this past week. Yes. Actually, I teach the uh, younger kids' version, which is called Jam Camp. Yeah, so yeah, how cute. Jam Camp is really <laughs> cute. So it's Jam Camp from ages 10 to 14, or actually 10 to 15, and then once they turn 15, then they go to jazz camp. Mm. And it's exquisite. It's a chance to be with, you know, the young folk out in the woods that are creative and experiencing all these things for the first time and learning about the power of their voice and the power of expression and, you know, sharing that in a safe space with other adults who are also creative and their peers and meeting a new group of people and watching them explode and and expand their horizons and basically blossom in front of your eyes. It's 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 great. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah>. <laughs> how many how many children were at jam camp uh this year? Almost two hundred. There oh, were quite a few. Two hundred. That's a lot of children. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a big number. <laughs> it was between one fifty and two hundred. Yes. It was a lot of kids. And they had a great time. They were very respectful, you know, raised right. <laughs> and choosing that, choosing art instead of violence. Right, you know, right. And yeah. bullying. They were all very respectful and very kind to one another. Mm-hmm. It was very refreshing to see. Yeah, that's what a, a great segue into um, your program. You know, you're founder mm-hmm. and director of the International Cultural Arts and Healing Sciences Institute. Yeah. Uh, and you travel the world as a cultural ambassador, furthering surprising connections in unexpected places through the arts, activism, and advocacy. And I was reading um, that, uh, you know, as. Um, you know, a uh, person who promotes healing through the arts, you've you've actually um, been quite a few places. Why don't you talk about that? Because one of those places is Palestine. Yes. And Israel. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was actually a really, really incredible trip. Um, I went uh, at the behest of the State Department, mm-hmm. and so I collaborate with the State Department and the U.S. Embassy, and I go to these places that are usually war-torn with at-risk populations, with the youth, and trying to promote, um, like you said, arts and advocacy and getting kids to play the drum instead of make a bomb. That's really the goal. And one of the kids in that program, I was with them for, gosh, three, four weeks, and at first they were very hesitant to believe that someone from the United States could be there for them and love them and we had a lot of very deep conversations about politics and what it means to be from America and how you can be an American and not necessarily agree with the politicians that represent your country mm-hmm. um, and one of the kids came up to me afterwards literally said to me you have changed my mind about wanting to become a Unabomber I'd rather play the drum which is why I said that phrase before about taking drums over there and getting them to express themselves through banging on a drum and talk about their inner rage that they have because they're frustrated and have that be a way for them to express themselves as opposed to blowing something up. Mm-hmm. And so it was very moving and and a, and a reignition for me to do the hard work, be a foot soldier on the front lines of this thing called life and working with youth and, you know, 
being a kid these days is hard and messy and confusing and there's so many ways that they're forced to become adults through the internet they know they're exposed to anything and everything way earlier than they used to be and so you know we have to contend with that and we have to still embrace everything that they're questioning and going through and give them another outlet and one of the best outlets is freedom of expression through the arts so that's what i go around the world promoting yeah. How um how did you how did you come to this work? Um it was I believe through uh, you know something really tragic happening to you personally. Mhm. <clears throat> um I actually was uh, a victim of a hate crime. I was run over by a truck by a guy who um didn't like black people and ran me over and I was in the hospital for almost a year and a half and mm. I was a I had third degree burns all over my body, and the only thing that helped me through the pain was music, and not just any music off the radio. Very intentional music that was focused on almost a drone kind of, um, not necessarily monotone, but like multi-layered, non-lingual music. You know, lots of chanting and drumming and very heavy harmonics and. It was very powerful. Well, I could, I would wake up out of a deep sleep or trance at the minute the music went off. And I was like, there was something to that. There was something to that for me, and, and I, I really needed to explore that further. And then I was invited by the Dalai Lama to come sing at the International uh, Festival for Sacred Chanting and Singing. And I was blessed to be able to be chosen, one out of the six people in the world, to go sing for him. And... I sang my songs for him, and we had a very deep connection, and he, you know, gave me the courage and the charge to create something that would continue this work, and so I created this institute, um, ICASI, Institute for Cultural Arts and Healing Sciences, and <clears throat> it's one of those things where it magically blossomed out in front of me. It's like the world opened up and wanted it to be, and so it's just been amazing how I've been able to live this dream life, go around the world and make music and sing and be with women and children who, you know, don't have a voice and want to be heard and seen, and we're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, wow, so amazing. You know, this uh, these past few years, there have been so many 50th anniversary of this act and 40th mm-hmm. anniversary of that and mm-hmm. you know this is the summer of the 50th anniversary of freedom summer you know when all mm. those students you know mm-hmm. in the north and the south uh came together in you know in the southern states to register people to vote and there was That's a lot right. of tragedy involved in that and um Right. Yeah, yeah, and then we look at, you know, sort of the the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act and the erosion of, of voter rights throughout the nation on, on the mm. anniversary, the 50th anniversary of all mm-hmm. of that. And then mm-hmm. we think about our dear sister Fannie Lou Hamer. Oh, my goodness. Mm. And what she suffered to be able to exercise her um, democratic rights as a citizen. And I was wondering sort of as you uh, sort of reflect you know, in your work and in your life on some of these monumental moments because you're, you know, you're from the East Coast. Are you are you from D.C. or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the suburbs of D.C., but, yeah, I grew up in D.C., mm-hmm. and it's just, I'm, hey, big shout-out to the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, it's it's an interesting time. I grew up and my parents were activists and we went to every march that we could march on and it's 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 a very different time. I remember as I was leaving DC I did a big march on Washington and it was very different from when I grew up. It was very controlled and contained and you had to get a permit to march and you know, there was no initial impetus of why marching was invented or why it was utilized as a form of rebellion that was still in place. Like, you couldn't shut down anything if you have to get a permit. So, every you know, it was already the streets were blocked off, and there was no change that was instilled or that you could have some kind of effect on because everything was already preplanned. And so, I think that you know, as we continue to evolve and grow as as a people, we need to find another way to have conversations about the need for justice still, the need for people to recognize that that we still don't have all of our rights and they're being taken away and a lot of people don't even know that that's happening. Like they're being, it's, it's almost like a dream state that's fallen over people. And people used to be informed about it because people were singing about it. But now there's none of that either. You know, we're still, you know, caught up in singing about purchasing cars and buying things and we're not talking about the core issues about our rights. And I think that if we don't hurry up and get through the fear of talking about those hard conversations, because a lot of kids these days don't want to hear it. And I know when I was a kid, I was like, oh, gosh, we have to talk. We have to go march again for civil rights. Ah, you know, it, was, it's, it takes work to come out of your comfort zone and go march about something and care about something and fight for something. And we have to truly put down our computers and our cell phones and everything else and get out on the streets and do it again. And don't get a permit to do it, you know, and bring your children out there and keep sharing the information. Otherwise, it'll get lost. I was surprised at how many kids don't know who Fannie Lane Lamer is. It's not being taught in our schools anymore. And so there's only so long that we can continue to carry that torch to reflect on the importance of this. You know, when kids don't feel like their vote counts for anything anyway, it doesn't matter anyway. They don't feel the need to have it in place. And so if we, if we can't express that to them and get them to get that, then it will go away and we'll have no recourse once it's gone. And that's a scary thought. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I was just looking at some of the um the places that, you know, your work has taken you, um and uh, you know, your music as medicine healing with an artful purpose programming, uh, multifaceted therapeutic approach through music movement and theater modalities. Mm-hmm. And you've been to Cuba, China, Taiwan, Africa. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, where in Africa? Because uh, I noticed Sierra that. Leone. <laughs> uh, that was my latest trek. It was beautiful. Oh, really? Like this year? Uh, actually, just last summer. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, one of the things that we also really need to talk about and get active about is our environment. When I was in Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. they had an area of town that they didn't want me to see because, you know, when you come from the States and you're going to hang out with the prime minister, they kind of want to keep you on the the pretty side of town. But I really wanted to see where the people were. And so I asked to be taken where that was. And the area that they took me was where they burned all of the plastic bottles 
from all the water that people drank, and it was toxic. You couldn't breathe the air. And the poor people had to live there. There was no other place for them to live. And they were burning these plastic bottles, just mountains of plastic bottles, on the beach next to the ocean. And, of course, I was crying and outraged. And, you know, not only outraged for the people that had to suffer the toxic fumes of this, but also looking at the fact that it's going right into the water, right there. So any fish that you got from that area, any food supply, right there was going to be filled with all these toxins. And, you know, their answer was, we don't have any other place to put it. We don't know what else to do with all of these water bottles that come from hotels, from all the tourists that come to this area. You know, it's just a cycle that we have to really figure out the answer to. And we can't just give it lip service. We have to sit down and really figure it out. What are we going to do about this? And so we have to think about it. We have to talk about it. So to me... I took all of that information, came back, put it in a song, and got people activated about it. Mm. And so now we're trying to form different movements and different ways to really talk to people who can make a difference, take these songs to the hill, take these songs back to the East Coast, give people who can change laws, talk about it in the U.N., really get them thinking about <laughs> the fact that this is not invisible, that it's happening, and we see it, and we know it, and we want to talk about it and fix it. Mm-hmm. Did, uh, were, the, were the refugee all-stars in town when you were there? No, they were here performing. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I was upset about that. I was like, no, poor planning on my part. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are so phenomenal. Um, Aren't they incredible? They're yeah. incredible. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it takes a whole bunch of, we need to all be out there. And the arts is the best way mm-hmm. to bring all these things to light. And they're out there talking that talk. They're bringing it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah. great music. Right, exactly. And, um, yeah, the latest, um, uh, they call it, the latest tour is called the Libation World Tour. And uh, so mm. just think about pouring libations to the ancestors and libations. Mm-hmm. So just invoking those those spirits because um, we definitely need to call on the ancestors at this particular yes, time do. in our history yes, as a planet and as a people that's right yeah so talk about um some of your your music since we last spoke <laughs> being in love was was the cd that we were in conversation about and that was just so lovely and you were like you know bringing the roots music like you always do and uh, <laughs> i hear you're going to be bringing the roots you and john together it's going to be like oh what an invocation on sunday yeah. at east side my goodness both of you yeah. all together ah oh my gosh people need to like you know Wear, wear those healing stones to be able to like so they don't float away. <laughs> so they're the ground them, right? <laughs> ground those chakras. Otherwise, you're going to have them like floating. <laughs> you know, like that uh, feather that um, uh, the goddess Ma'at, you know, is represented by, you know, balance and justice. <laughs> yes, yes. I am so there. And oh, I love Ma'at. <laughs> well,. <laughs> Uh, you were asking me about the upcoming music that's coming up for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there are a couple of things on the horizon, excitedly. Uh, the first one is the release of my uh, album from the Kennedy Center called Lush, which is live at the Kennedy Center. It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the tracks that I uh, gave to you called Nature Boy, and that okay. covers some more 
Um, beautiful jazz standards. Um, but I'm also in creation with a lot of Afro-Cuban artists, and we're going to make a beautiful kind of spirit chant album that incorporates a lot of jazz as well and the blues and really get down into kind of the root structure of you know that root jazz that we love and get that sound vibration going and heal from the bottom up <laughs> mm-hmm. so Lush will be released in the fall and hopefully that next CD will be released in the spring but I'll keep you posted on that one. Oh, that'd be excellent excellent that'd be wonderful and, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so um Let's talk a little bit more about, uh, I don't know, I mean, I'll give you a choice. Uh, do you want us to talk more about your healing work with the music? Um, uh, or would you talk, want to talk more about, um, you know, your artistry uh, or combine the both of them in one conversation? Um, are you are you going to be traveling any more um, this year as as an ambassador? Yes, actually. Okay. Uh, there's, there, are co- there are a couple things on the horizon. The first one, I've got, I have a concert uh, at the Arunda Jazz Festival that's coming uh, August 17th. So if you guys can make it out tomorrow, come check me out there. Um, and I will be doing a TED Talk in oh. September mm-hmm. in New York, which is going to be very exciting, talking about what we're talking about here, grit, and the power of survival and the ways that we do that. <laughs> and my focus is going to be through expressive arts and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in November, I'm off to Turkmenistan, where we're going to be doing this very same work, except using a different modality, which is really fun. The last time I was there, we looked at empowering women to share their voice through the bigness of their bodies. So working on stage presence and power voice and a lot of that stuff comes through Broadway musicals. So using the American modality of musicals. So we're doing uh, Broadway Abroad and going there and getting women to... I mean, when, when I was there and I was allowing them to scream on stage and move in a very big, powerful way, it changed them and you could see it in their face that they... You know, in their day-to-day dealings, don't get to do that. But when you're in the arts and on the stage, and particularly in musical theater, you're commanded to be in a bigger space and a bigger aspect of yourself. And, you know, for all of us, that's what I was doing at Jam Camp with these kids. The way that they were empowered and how they moved after they had a session where they got to sing, you know, these amazing musicals from Broadway, you know, singing from The Wiz, you know, when I think of home, I think, you know, when you have to do that on the stage and you have to share your voice and the bigness of that, it it fills you in a different way. And so I'm really excited to go to Turkmenistan and do this with the, with the people there. And I'll be partnering with an organization called Company E, and they'll be doing dance. And, you know, together we're going to bring that aspect to these people and they're going to share with us you know what we can learn from them and mm-hmm. we'll bring it back here and it'll be a beautiful cultural exchange nice nice have you been to Rwanda no but I worked with this amazing Rwandan artist Jean-Paul Samputu and we did a lot of work when he was touring here mm-hmm. in America we did a southern tour together and I worked with their dancers and it was just oh 
that their story is really powerful. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to go to Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When after Katrina, did you get a chance to go to New Orleans and to some of the southern states yeah. uh, and do some I work did. there? Oh, tell me about I that. Because the anniversary of Katrina is coming up next month on the 29th. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually have family there and dear friends there and. Mm-hmm. You know, Katrina was powerful. I was actually on the phone with a friend who was sending videos of the water rising up in her house. Mm. It was just, whew, you talk about fear. Like, it was right there with me on the phone. And then I lost contact. And then it was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, to know somebody who went through it and to to know people and to go back. I went right after we were able to get down there. And, and you know, they call it the Katrina cough. It's true. Like, ev- all the, the gunk and the toxins that had settled on the bottom of that water that rose up and, and were released as these noxious gases, you couldn't breathe. Your eyes would burn. You would cough all the time. And so I went down there and did what I could. But, you know... The fever and the flavor of the South, especially New Orleans, honey, those people went right back home. They did not, they just went home and fixed it. They fixed the doors, they fixed their houses, they were like, we live here, this is home. No matter what else, we're home until we're going to build our home again. And I just love that fire, that, that strength, that inner power that people have, that commitment to staying with community and staying with family and staying home. So we went there, I went down there and, you know, hung with my people and my my fellow musicians and colleagues and did what I could to help out. But, you know, really and truly, it, it takes more than a village to fix a tragedy like that. It takes the world and it takes all of us. And so, you know, they're still healing. Mm-hmm. There's still a need for people to go and help. There's still people that are impoverished and, you know, suffering from what happened all those years ago. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that long ago, for real, for real, but... Yeah, yeah, that's you know. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what about um, Haiti? Have you, has your work taken you to Haiti? I tried. I tried to get to Haiti, and I was in the Dominican Republic, and I was on my way to cross the border, and they stopped us. They said it's just too, it's too hard. You know, there are a lot of places that I want to go that Mm -hmm. I can't get to, like Nigeria, because it's just, the war is just too strong, and being from America, you know, you're... Top on the list for somebody that might garner a, a fee, which is kind of funny to me. But you know, you can get kid- kidnapping Israel, and mm-hmm. um, when you go to these places, there's always that fear that that you will be captured. Mm-hmm. And so, some places they just wouldn't let me go. Like I wanted to go to Afghanistan. I was right on the border. Yeah. And they were like, "Nope. Hmm. If you cross that bridge, we can't be held responsible for you anymore." Yeah, yeah. The State Department on paper, and you've actually talked to a lot of people. It just looks really uncompromising. They say, "Don't go over there." And if you go over there, you're on your own. I guess you are on your own. Mm -hmm. That's right. We can't help you. We can't spread the word. We can't get you out. You will be. uh, You know, they told the story about somebody else who was on a bridge for three days Mm -hmm. because he couldn't cross into Afghanistan and he couldn't come back from Afghanistan. It was kind of like this no man's land in between, Mm -hmm. and and. 
there he was for three days. Wow. <laughs> and that was that. Uh, three days. But oh you know what, sister? Yeah, yeah no, you got, I know. It's 9.30 and I've got to go yeah. to John. So right. we'll talk to you in a minute. Yeah, that'll be super. Yeah, and then a uh, question I want to ask you, if you could be thinking yeah. about it as you head on over to the rehearsal. Um, just sort of the whole idea of forgiveness. Uh, I just want you to talk a little bit about that. Because that's, mm. that's a really difficult that's that's a difficult space to occupy, particularly if you say you've been you were in the hospital for over a year, a year and a half, yes. you know, getting over an intentional um uh assault. I mean it wasn't an accident. You were no. you were run over on purpose. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? That's really the the truest subject and the kernel of my TED Talk is exactly that. The the grit it takes to forgive. Mhm. In a true sense of forgiveness, like truly letting go mm-hmm. with love. So, yes, I'd love to talk more about that. Uh, okay, so I'll talk to you in a little bit. <laughs> okay, thank right. you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye.